الحمد لله الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا قيما لينذر بأسا شديدا من لدن ويبشر المؤمنين الذين يعملون الصالحات أن لهم أجرا حسنا ماكثين فيه أبدا وينذر الذين قالوا اتخذ الله ولدا ما لهم به من علم ولا لآبائهم كبرت كلمة تخرج من أفواههم إن يقولون إلا كذبا وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وإليه المصير وأشهد أن سيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله أرسله الله تعالى بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا وداعيا إلى الله بإذنه وسراجا منيرا فهو الرحمة المهداء والنعمة المصداء والسراج المنير اللهم صل وسلم وبارك عليه وعلى آله الأطهار وأصحابه الأخيار ومن اتبع سنته وسار على نهجه إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فيا أيها الإخوة المؤمنون سلام الله تعالى عليكم ورحمته وبركاته قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن الكريم أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبلنا صدق الله العظيم Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a strong promise to us in Surah Al-Ankabut where he says those who struggle for our sake we shall surely guide them to our paths وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمَا الصَّابِرِينَ and surely Allah is with those who have sabr you could say in this blessed ayah there is everything you really need to know about how to operate religion that's the operating system of Allah's religion and there are plenty of branches many many branches many rules many fatwas an extraordinary cornucopia of furaq but this is the basis for how we make it all work why? because the niyyah, the intention is the door to everything else no matter how abundant might be our good works if the niyyah is corrupt then what is the meaning of those good works? so we begin with the inward and then we move outward if the inward is rotten the outward is meaningless and is likely to rot away even in outward terms before too long Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the world so that the human task is focused on the overcoming of essentially seven defects <coughs> early prophet warns us of the mubiqati saba beware of the seven destructive ones you might say the seven deadly sins it's a little bit broader than that this is in sahih muslim and the list varies from hadith to hadith but basically <coughs> the meaning is clear if we overcome these seven things these seven inward qualities of the soul then outwardly things will start to come right for us which is what we all crave human beings, whatever outwardly they might be, all share a desire for happiness I've never met anybody who desired to be unhappy sometimes we make ourselves unhappy sometimes the world and its vicissitudes make us unhappy but we all crave something else, we want to be happy we crave sa'ada and if we have a deeper sense and see beyond the mere surface of things we'll want to be happy in the soul and happy in the life everlasting that awaits the soul which is immortal we are all united in the search for happiness and there are these three things 
These, there's these seven things, these seven dragons, as it were, that obstruct the path to happiness. And they are all inward thoughts, scorpions lurking in the recesses of the heart. And we all know that they are there. They are what we are, in a certain sense. We wish to pull them out with the wooden tongs and squeeze them and destroy them. They do in houses in certain traditional parts of the world. They get into those really awkward cracks and crevices, but you really don't want to leave them there, because how can you relax in your house if you know that they're there somewhere? We want to remove them. We want to get rid of them. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has in the Qur'an given us a technology, or you might say a psychology, that enables us to understand ourselves, which is the beginning of all happiness. The modern world is not quite aware of how this can be done, because it doesn't quite have the ability to tell us what we are in our deepest mysterious consciousness. It's all a bit puzzling. We're told to be ourselves, to discover ourselves, to express ourselves, to, if we're shopping, to help ourselves, but know thyself is not such a modern slogan. Instead, we look at the consequences of the ego and its turbulences without really having this ancient sacred technology of reaching within and trying to rectify it, trying to clean it up. That dirty stable that we carry with us, we want to, to wash it down and make it clean. But Revelation gives us this technology. It doesn't do the job for us, but it shows us this jihad, this inward mujahada, as one of the Salafs said, Kill the ego with the swords of self-discipline. Mujahada, it's like jihad, this inward struggle. This struggle with the greater enemy. As the Holy Prophet says, alayhi salatu wasalam, Your most hostile enemy is yourself, which is with, between your two sides. That's what really brings us unhappiness. The wrong disposition of the self and allowing it to do what it wants for whatever idle reason, that's usually what brings us unhappiness. Nine times out of ten, it's because of our own silly pursuit of things that Allah is trying to protect us from. He's given us boundaries, we ignore them for our own half-baked reasons, and the result is unhappiness, stress, anxiety, and the general state which humanity today, in its outward brilliance and inward poverty, finds itself in. Surah Yusuf is, as it were, a great operatic stage in which these seven characters come on the stage and strut their stuff. If you think about it, outwardly the story of Surah Yusuf seems just like a nice story. You could tell it to very small children and they'd get it and they'd love it. It's Aksan al-Qasas, the best of stories, but actually it's about these seven dragons. And I'll leave it to you to reread it and to see where they are. Hasad is certainly one of them. One of the deadly sins is envy. How is it that the brothers conspire against their own brother because of envy? They think that their father, Yaqub, is senile and is preferring the younger son over them. So out of envy, they start this whole story that gets them very nearly into catastrophic difficulties. That's one. Another one is pride. The pride of Fir'aun, the pride of the Aziz, the pride symbolized by the outward greatness and inward poverty of the land of Egypt where Yusuf salam, is exiled. And another one is Uqqulwalidain. It's mentioned in all of the hadiths, despite the differences in their list. Filial impiety, uh, distressing your parents, disobedience to parents, 
That's what the brothers are doing. Those twelve brothers disobeying, disobeying their parents and causing their father to weep and to cause him those long years of anguish through what? Through a dirty lie and through the unpleasant and disgraceful scheming against their innocent younger brother. That's Opopal Walidane. And there are others. One of them, is course, of course, is desire. Desire for your neighbor's wife, which is specified in these lists of Mubiqat in the Hadith. Well, that's exactly the issue that arises later on in the surah between Yusuf and Zulaikha, as the Tafsir authors name her, the wife of the Aziz in Egypt. So again and again we find these Mubiqat displayed on this great operatic stage, <coughs> and we're shown the human comedy and the human tragedy, and we are told that the solution is two things, really. There is sabr, which is the ayah that we begin with. In other words, to overcome these dragons, the sword that you need, it's a single sword. It's not seven different technologies to overcome each of them. It's just a single method. Endurance. Disobey those voices. Be patient. Do not believe those inward whisperings that say, if you follow these vices, you'll become happier, because it turns out that usually you don't. Usually when you go down one of those paths through envy, disobeying parents, whatever else it might be, flirting with somebody you shouldn't be with, the result is some kind of hasra, even in the short term, let alone the larger sense of self-despite uh, and depression that attends the, the, the fate of sinners in the longer term. It's simply not worth it, but in the short term, the ego chatters and persuades us that this is a way of raising our spirits. Hmm? Don't have sober at this moment. You've been working on that supervision essay for a week, for two weeks, and it's still not much good. And you're feeling down, so why don't you go to this movie that you know is not really appropriate? Why don't you go with those friends to some inappropriate place? Why don't you look at this website that isn't really appropriate? Just to raise your spirits, you deserve it. There's a voice within us, that dragon, that is telling us that. And we know from experience, if we have any sense of self-knowledge, self-ma'rifatadness, that following that voice usually leads to an unhappiness greater than the momentary happiness that that vice might have given us. This is our experience, but because we're weak, and we want those dopamine circuits in the brain to get firing, to lift us out of our sense of depression and anxiety. We follow those things, but the end result is an accumulation of sins, and hence an accumulation of lack of self-respect and depression. And this is why we have to have sobor. The case of all of these vices, the case of envy, in the case of pride, in the case of lust, in the case of telling lies, in the case of disrespect for parents, all of those deadly sins, the remedy for them is sobor, and Allah will be with you. The story starts to go wrong where? Well, when they dispose of their brother and they go to their father with the cloak with the false blood and they tell their father this big, stonking, stinking lie and his tears start to flow and he says to himself, because he knows them well Yourself, your egos have deceived you, have told you a certain wrong story. Fasabron Jamil. Where does the Holy Prophet go in this state? He says, Sabron Jamil. Beautiful patience. Wallahu musta'anu ala Allah will help me in the face of this thing that you're, you're describing, that you've concocted. That is how he remains sane. Not through panicking, not through reaching for a jar of, of Prozac, but instead, Sabron Jamil. The way to deal with being the victim of one of these vices is sabr. The way to avoid perpetrating one of these vices is also sabr. That's the key. And then the story goes on. 
And then we have the amazing story of Sayyidina Yusuf salam, against all the odds rescued by divine providence because he never despairs and is always remembering his Lord. His tongue is always moist with dhikrullah, with remembrance of his Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, however outrageously hopeless his situation might be. And then he goes into the house of the Aziz. When he becomes mature, when he's an adult, when he comes of age, we gave him wisdom and knowledge. The modern world has a lot of knowledge. Wisdom may be looking at the state of the world today and everything from the economy to the environment to whatever it might be, not so much wisdom somehow. Things are pretty unstable. This wisdom is what he was given. And then what happens? The one is in whose house he was and is vulnerable, he's just a kind of servant, kind of immigrant, refugee, asylum seeker, whatever, very vulnerable. She is tempting him. And what does he do? His words again are Ma'adallah Allah is my protection. Where does he go? Not to some kind of inward discourse. Neither does he say, well actually it's not my style, and this is not in our culture, and you know, I hope you don't feel offended, but really I don't get into that kind of relationship. No, he, he names his Lord. He says, this is displeasing to Allah. And he knows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help him. But it's human. The beauty of the story is that it's not some kind of detached, emotionless, passionless, desireless angel walking through a world of, of flesh and blood human beings. He's one of us. He's one of them. And he feels these desires and he knows the reality of them. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saves him, even though it means going to the prison for several years. That's where he has to be. But his inward state is luminous, even though his outward state could not seem to be more hopeless. So in all of this, we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indicating not just that it's a great thing to overcome, these vices, to tell lies and to be jealous and to all of the stuff that, that we do that really makes up our inner life much of the time, most of the time, but that actually there will be a good outcome if we overcome those things. That this uh, temptation that the shaitan, that the lower self offers us, which is you'll feel a little bit better if you click on that link. You'll feel a little bit better if you exchange inappropriate emails with whoever it might be that if we can overcome that, have sabr, and we can have ihsan, we do what is beautiful, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will actually raise our state. Instead of the false pleasure of the dopamine stimulation, we will get into a real state of having self-respect and knowing that we're people whose inward life, whose private life is commensurate with what they're claiming to be outwardly. And this is essential for our serenity. And the more we do that, the more we will be. Sabr is a faculty, it's a habit, it needs to be learned. The more you do it, the more you do it successfully, the more you successfully stab those dragons within, the easier it will be next time. Just as each time you give way to one of those de deadly sins and one of those temptations, the easier it becomes for you to do it next time because it's just a matter of habit. But it's not easy. Because these powers within are very powerful. The poet says, who is going to help me with this stallion, with its rebelliousness? Who can help uh, tame the wild stallion uh, just with reins? Not so easy. And this is what we are. We're like riding 
wild animals rushing into these seven lethal places, who is going to help us? But we need to, to remember that this is something that has to be done recurrently. Even a little victory will help the soul. Even a little defeat is going to damage the soul. And in every moment, we have the possibility to make good decisions or the possibility to do bad stuff, to think bad stuff, to have a bad intention, to do bad things. There's no moment in which we are let off the hook. There is no moment in which that single sword of sabr is not in our hands and we're not being challenged by those, uh, by those dragons. When nafsu kaltifli in tuhmilhu shabba ala hubbi radai wa in taftimhu yirfatimi The ego, the self, is like a baby. Hmm? If you allow it to continue suckling the milk, it will continue to do so, and it will continue to love that, but if you wean it, then it will be weaned. The baby really doesn't like the, the, the departure from the breast, or the last time it has the bottle and is given something out of a plate. It cries and it yells, and it's hard work, and that's part of parenthood. But it has to do that. It has to go through that, just as we also have to be weaned from our lower desires. Otherwise, we are the level of small children, just toddling after whatever pleasures there might be here and there. وَرَائِهَا وَهْيَ فِي الْأَعْمَالِ سَائِمَةٌ وَإِنْ هِيَ اسْتَحْلَةٍ مَرْعَى فَلَا تُسِمِي The same poet goes on to say, watch it. Watch the ego as it is like a sheep grazing amongst different possible actions. And if it finds one particular part of the pasture delicious, don't encourage it to graze there. In other words, the self left to its own devices the mind, undisciplined, just wanders after whatever happens to be most pleasurable in the moment. And we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like sheep, just driven by instinct. We want to be something higher. We want the reality of this karanna bani Adam to be really part of what we are. We have ennobled the descendants of Adam, but not because we're like every other animal just following pleasure and instinct. Those possibility of getting our hands on the steering wheel of our vehicle and jolting it through sheer force of personality and strength and human will into another direction. Only human beings can do that. The story of Surat Yusuf would make no sense if it was just human beings dominated by instinct. We can rise above. We can rise above. And when we rise above, we can be wonders. The person who genuinely is in control of his strong impulses is a wonder to humanity and benefits himself. Even if you're a student or an academic, your time management skills are so much better if your religious life has given you the capacity to overcome your desires. You're not daydreaming, you're not doing this and that and playing with your phone. If you have discipline, you'll get better grades. Even in dunya, it's really advantageous to be a person who's got his hands firmly on the steering wheel of his self and his desires. So we need to recall this. But in the akhirah, of course, and in the social level, society requires people who are able to transcend themselves and not just look out for the main chance looking out for number one. This is absolutely indispensable. We need adults. We need people of futuwa. We need people of youthful maturity who hold that sword, who hold that sword, which is the two-pointed sword of Imam Ali, one point of which is against the enemies of justice in the world, and the other point of which faces the, the, the enemies within. Remember the Holy Prophet وسلم, in the famous hadith says, The thing that I fear most for my ummah is uh, ostentation, showing off, thereby corrupting what you're doing, and uh, hidden desire. 
outward desires are kind of comical. We read about them in the tabloids every day, but inner desires, those ugly things that pollute us as human beings. And he says that this inner desire is like a shirk al-khafi, which is a scary thing to say. The hidden shirk doesn't mean going to a statue and bowing down. That's kind of crude and obvious. And in this ummah, that doesn't happen. But a shirk al-khafi is something that he fears with this ummah, as he says. What does that mean? It means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded you to have sabr and not to go in those places where those dragons live because you'll hurt yourself and you'll hurt others. He's given you clear boundaries, alhamdulillah, but you actually say, well, in this particular situation, I'd rather do that. That's implicitly a form of idolatry. And the idol in this case is yourself. You're saying, well, yes, 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 but I don't want to think about that too long because I know that actually I'll get some kind of kick out of doing the other thing. That's a major, a major problem. That is defying the commandment and the sirat mustaqim of your Lord, which leads to happiness and choosing some other thing because you think implicitly that you know better. This is a dangerous thing, but it is there within us. As he says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it is akhfa min dabibin namlitis sawda ala safratis sawma billaylatis zalma. It is more hidden than the creeping of a black ant on a obscure smooth stone in the middle of a murky night. Really hard to see. Hard to see the movement of that lower self within us. Hard to acknowledge that we have these vices of envy and pride and all of the other stuff that makes up what we do and what drives us. But we have to overcome that. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the light of faith that will allow us to see into those places. To grant us knowledge so that we know the halal from the haram. To grant us pure intentions and inshallah make us capable of dealing with the trials, temptations that the world throws at us the ones that people know about and the ones that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for al-isma inshallah for ourselves, for our families and for this ummah. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa li sa'iri al-muslimin innahu huwa qafuru rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa li al-muttaqeen nakali al-zalimeen ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah الملك الحق المبين محمد رسول الله صادق الوعد الأمين وصيكم ونفسي بتقوى الله فإنه خير الزاد وإياكم ومحتثات الأمور فكل محتثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار واعلموا أن الله قد أمركم بأمر عظيم أمركم بالصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين فقال جل ثناؤه إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد وبارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم إنا نسألك الرضاك والجنة وانا اعوذ بك من سخطك والنار يا عالم السر منا لا تهتك الستر عنا واعفنا واعف عنا وكلنا حيث كنا ربنا اتنا في الدنيا حسنه وفي الاخره حسنه وقنا عذاب النار ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد اذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمه انك انت الوهاب ووفق اللهم ولاه امور المسلمين الى العمل بكتاب الله وسنه خاتم الانبياء والمرسلين 
عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعزكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم وادعوه هو يستجب لكم ولذكر الله أعلى وأولى وأعز وأجل وأتم وأكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة